short time, in person, not in thought. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did. Again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope or joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us, and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Well, do you ever feel anxious? Uh, If you do, you're not alone. Uh, The Melbourne Institute reports that from 2009 to 2017, Uh, the rate of anxiety and depression for 15 to 34-year-olds, most of you are in that bracket, uh, increased from 6.1% to 11.2% for males, and from 13.4% to 19.4% for females. Uh, A Roy Morgan research report from September last year says that uh, in 2019, 32% of 18 to 24-year-olds reported suffering from anxiety, and that's up from 11% in 2011. So it's tripled in the space of uh, about eight years. Anxiety is actually the fastest-growing mental health problem in Australia, and there seem to be a bunch of reasons for that, a bunch of things that contribute to it. Uh, Unemployment, understandably, is likely to increase your level of anxiety. Uh, Interestingly, living with a partner... Um, as opposed to living in a share house or with your parents, is likely to increase anxiety. Um, Not playing a team sport will increase anxiety. Having no religious affiliation increases anxiety. And spending time on social media increases anxiety as well. But let me ask you, what makes you anxious? And is it ever right to feel anxious if you're a Christian? if you know that God is in control of everything and he loves you? 
Is there any way in which anxiety could be a good thing? And how can we become more resilient in the face of anxiety? Or even, to use our Nicholas Nassim Taleb's, sorry, Nassim Nicholas Taleb's phrase, anti-fragile, so that anxiety doesn't merely not break us, it actually makes us stronger. Well, in the passage we're looking at today from 1 Thessalonians, we see Paul actually describing his own anxiety. Uh, see, Paul and Silas had arrived in Thessalonica, a city in Greece, around AD 49, AD 50, uh, about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, the book of Acts, chapter 17, tells us that when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So things went well initially, uh, but then other Jews who rejected Jesus as the Messiah formed a mob, stirred up trouble, started a riot, and actually started dragging Christians out of their homes in Thessalonica, dragging them before the city officials and accusing them of treason against Caesar uh, for saying that Jesus was the king. Now remember that that's actually the charge that got Jesus crucified in the first place, that he was claiming to be king, that he was committing treason against Caesar. So this is not a trivial thing. As it is, uh, the last that we and Paul hear of the Thessalonians is that they're allowed out on bail. Because that night, Paul and Silas are smuggled out of the city. Now, try and imagine what that would be like, uh, not just as a Thessalonian facing that kind of persecution, but as Paul. You've started this church. Uh, these people have become believers in the Lord Jesus. You're over the moon about it. But now you don't know what's happening. You don't know what's happened to your friends. You don't know what's happened to these new believers in Christ. How would you feel? I think you'd probably feel anxious for them. Now, Paul doesn't actually use the Greek word for anxiety in this passage, but he's clearly describing it. If you have a look at chapter 2, verse 17 with me, he says, Brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Do you notice the intensity of the language there? We were orphaned. I don't know if any of you guys are orphans. In a group this size, there may well be some. For others of us, the closest we've come to that is kind of losing our parents in the shopping centre when we were kids for a little while. And you might remember that feeling of anxiety, of, oh no, where are they? Will I see them again? Well, Paul's saying that being separated from the Thessalonians was much worse than losing mum and dad in the shopping centre. It was like never being able to see them again. He longs intensely to see them, he says. They're constantly on his mind. And he makes every effort to see them again and again. See verse 18. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. 
but Satan blocked our way. Now, why is Paul so anxious to see them? Uh, Is it just like you're missing your friends because of COVID or something like that? You had the best time of your life with them and you long to see them again. No, it's not that. Is it just that he's worried about their persecution, their suffering? Well, yes, he is worried about that, but it's more than that. As we read on, we discover in verse 19 why he's so worried. He says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. See, what is Paul worried about? Is it just the persecution? Well, no, actually. He's worried that they might have given up on Jesus. And so he might miss out on his hope and joy and crown of glory when Christ returns. Now, at first glance, that might sound kind of selfish, uh, if you think about it. Um, These guys are getting persecuted. They might have given up on Christ Jesus And Paul's worried about his reward, kind of like a CEO who's overseen some kind of disaster where his workers have been killed or maimed, and he's worried about losing his Christmas bonus. Well, no, actually, Paul's not being selfish, because what is his hope, his joy, and his crown of glory, the crown in which he'll glory in the presence of Christ when he returns? Is it like a pay bonus, like something extrinsic that's actually got nothing to do with the Thessalonians themselves? Well, no, he says. His reward is the Thessalonians. He's worried that they might have turned their backs on Jesus so that on the last day, when he stands there before Christ, they might not be there alongside him. And then he'll lose all his joy of seeing them again of rejoicing in what Christ has done for them, knowing that they'll have eternal life. He's not anxious about some kind of reward that's unrelated to them. He's anxious about them. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that Paul, who knows that God is love and he's in sovereign control of the whole universe, including the salvation of people, is still anxious about them. The same Paul who wrote Philippians 4 verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with, uh, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The same Paul who wrote that also wrote 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. It's the same Greek word in both passages. It says, don't be anxious in one. And then in the other, he says, I am anxious. So it seems that when the Bible says, don't be anxious, it's not so much saying, thou shalt not be anxious. And if you are, God will bust you. It's more like, don't worry. And when you do, you can entrust it to God and he'll keep you from giving up on Christ. See, if Paul was anxious, if even Jesus seems to be anxious in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he's crucified, 
then I think we can conclude that being anxious is not necessarily sinful. It doesn't necessarily betray a lack of faith in God's goodness or power. But it is helpful to see here what Paul is anxious about. Because it's not about food or clothing, which Jesus warns us not to worry about. It's not even about escaping persecution. He's worried about the salvation of the Thessalonians. But then, still, how can he worry when he knows that God's in control? Does he not really believe in the sovereignty of God? Actually, I think it is because he believes in the sovereignty of God that he's worried about them. Because God in his sovereignty has not only decided the outcome that he wants, he's decided the way he's going to get there. That is, he believes that God uses him, Paul, and others to bring about the outcome he desires, including the salvation of the Thessalonians. And so God is actually using Paul's anxiety to motivate him to seek to encourage and spur on the Thessalonians. Just like uh, with your exams, you know that exams are coming, you're anxious about them, and God willing, it spurs you to actually study, to do something about them. And Paul does do something. He doesn't just sort of sit there and stew about it, like you might do with your exams sometimes. You know that they're coming, but you're you're so anxious about it that all you can do is watch videos on YouTube. Um, No, Paul's already told us that he's repeatedly tried to go and see them. Somehow, though, Satan's prevented him. He doesn't say how, but given that he can't actually get there, hasn't been able to get there, what does he do? Well, chapter 3, verse 1. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who's our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Paul actually does something. He tries to visit them. When he can't, he sends Timothy in his place to encourage them and spur them on. But it turns out that his anxiety is more than reactive, it's proactive. We learn in the next few verses that he'd already been worried about the Thessalonians while he was with them. You can see that in the second half of verse 3. For you know quite well that we are destined for them, that is trials. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. Jesus warned his followers that they would face trials. Paul knows that. He's experienced that himself. Throughout his ministry, Jewish opponents have harassed him and sought to undermine his work. They've even tried to kill him on at least one occasion. He's been persecuted by Gentiles as well. Just before coming to Thessalonica, he and Silas had been beaten up and imprisoned in Philippi. Paul expected to be persecuted for following Jesus. Uh, In fact, he says in his second letter to Timothy that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So let me ask you, do you expect to be persecuted? Seems like Paul thinks that you should expect that. Now, Granted, it's unlikely in Australia that you'll be beaten up or thrown in prison or sentenced to death 
for following Jesus. But that doesn't mean that you won't suffer for following him. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, In 2016, a South Australian university student, uh, Joshua Lawless, provided support for a friend and fellow student who was going through a difficult time. Uh, He shared his faith with them. uh, He prayed with them. And uh, the interaction was, you know, consensual. It was positive. uh, It all seemed good. And then a few weeks later, he got an email from the university administration saying that he was being charged with misconduct by praying on campus and challenging another student's beliefs. He was suspended and informed that he needed fortnightly counselling sessions to appropriately interact with his peers. And if he stepped on campus again, he'd be removed by the security guards. And the suspension would also be put on his permanent student record, affecting his future prospects. Now, in the end, the suspension and the conditions of re-enrolment were challenged in the courts and the matter was settled confidentially. But it's not hard to imagine how stressful that must have been for Joshua at the time, is it? Imagine that happening to you. Here's another one. Tertiary lecturer in WA, let's call her Samantha, uh, engaged in informal conversations about Christianity with staff and students. Uh, She heard some students um, using God and Jesus as swear words and sort of challenged them by saying, do you know him? Because I know him. Her employer issued Samantha with a formal written warning and threatened her with discipline and a psychiatric assessment for discussing her religious beliefs with students and staff members in workplace conversations. Now, look, no one's getting crucified for being a Christian in Australia, right? Uh, We're okay there. But that doesn't mean that people aren't being persecuted, that certain people aren't making life difficult for Christians. We shouldn't be blind to the fact that following Jesus may well involve trials. In fact, Paul seems to think that will definitely involve trials. Paul knew that, and so he warned the Thessalonians about it. Now, you could think that's an odd decision. Like, why would you warn people that they're going to suffer in the future? Because surely that's just going to make them anxious, isn't it? Why not just sort of not mention it and just deal with it when it comes up? I mean, in fact, you may well feel more anxious now than you were at the start of this talk. (laughs) Why would you warn people that they might suffer for following Jesus? Well, I think it's because Paul knows that people don't give up on Jesus because they're expecting suffering. They give up on him because they're not. They think that following Jesus means that life is going to be easy. He's going to solve all my problems. Life following Jesus will be painless. And so as soon as persecution comes, we fall away. We cry out, it's not supposed to be like this. But if we hear this warning, which is echoing the warnings of Jesus that we'll suffer for following him, then when suffering does actually come, it's not going to drag us away from him. It's not going to make us think that we were sold a lie. On the contrary, it's going to confirm that what Jesus said is true. He said we'd suffer, Paul said we'd suffer, and here we are suffering. They seem very reliable. (laughs) We can trust them. 
And that's precisely what Paul wants for the Thessalonians. He wants them to stick with Jesus. So have a look at chapter 3, verse 5. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. But then in verse 6 he says, Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. You can almost hear the relief in his voice, can't you? Verse 7, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. He's just over the moon about them. He's ecstatic to hear that they're going strong. They're holding on. They're still trusting in Jesus. They're not resentful or bitter. They still long to see Paul and Silas and Timothy. In the midst of his own distress and persecution, Paul was encouraged by the Thessalonians' faith in the midst of their persecution. They want to see him. He wants to see them. He wants to supply what's lacking in regard to their faith. I'm not sure what he means exactly by that, whether he means that he himself is what's lacking in regard to their faith, that they've been trusting that he'll be able to come back to them and uh, visit them, and now hopefully he will be able to do that. Or whether he thinks that, uh, uh, that there's something that he can share with them that will encourage them and strengthen their faith. Either way, the picture we get is one of mutual encouragement. In the midst of his persecution, Paul sends Timothy to encourage the Thessalonians in their faith, in the midst of their persecution. And their faith, in the midst of persecution, encourages Paul in the midst of his persecution. And so he hopes to come and encourage them in their faith, in the midst of their persecution. And it just kind of goes round and round, this sort of mutual encouragement in the face of persecution. In fact, he seems to be writing this whole section to encourage them, to know that he's thinking about them in the midst of their trials, that he's anxious for them, that he cares about them. The whole dynamic is this beautiful sort of picture of mutual care and love, building each other up in Christ. And I think this is where that anti-fragile thing comes into it. See, Paul's anxiety for the Thessalonians and theirs for him doesn't actually make them weaker. It actually makes them stronger. Rather than being crippled by their anxiety, just sort of collapsing into this puddle of anxiety, it actually leads to mutual encouragement. Far from wearing them down, distress and persecution leads them to being stronger because it pushes them together in this mutual encouragement. Turns out that the whole sort of persecution and anxiety thing is a little bit like lifting weights. I mean, if you just sort of look at someone lifting weights, you think, that seems daft. (laughs) What what a stupid thing to do. Seems like a miserable, pointless business to lift heavy weights. It's not really achieving anything, is it? But in fact, it does achieve something. (laughs) It makes you stronger. 
humans are anti-fragile when it comes to lifting weights. <laughs> it's not just that we resist them crushing us. Lifting weights actually makes us stronger. And when we're encouraging each other, spurring each other on, then the weight of persecution actually makes us stronger too. Stronger, more close-knit, more confident in Jesus than we would have been without it. As followers of Jesus, we're actually anti-fragile. Whatever doesn't kill us only makes us stronger. In fact, whatever kills us only makes us stronger, just like our Lord Jesus. Because then we will be with our crucified and risen Saviour, safe from all harm forever. We're actually anti-fragile. The anxiety that Paul and uh, the Thessalonians experience for each other doesn't make them weaker. It makes them stronger. Now, wouldn't it be great if that were our experience uh, at CU and in our churches? That instead of simply being anxious about exams or getting a boyfriend or a girlfriend or getting a job after uni, we were instead actually anxious about each other, that we cared for each other, cared about each other's salvation, and that our anxiety for each other and for each other's salvation actually drove us towards encouraging one another, spurring each other on in the faith, talking with each other about Jesus praying with and for each other so that our anxiety actually made us stronger than we were before. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to be anxious about your exams. Uh, It's good to panic early, provided that actually gets you studying. But don't let them overwhelm you. You can trust God to look after you, to look after your future. And in doing that, you'll be set free to focus your care and concern on the future of others, your fellow Christians, to care for them, to encourage them and spur them on to the last day when Christ returns. The non-Christians around us, who we can proclaim the gospel to and point them towards that day when Christ returns, that they might join us there, just as the Thessalonians joined Paul, or will join Paul. Lastly, have a look at what Paul does in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. See, Paul follows his own advice in Philippians, doesn't he? Do not be anxious about anything, uh, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He actually takes all the things that he's been anxious about, that he's been talking about in this passage, his desire to visit the Thessalonians, his his love and theirs, uh, his desire that they keep growing in the Lord, that they continue faithfully to the day when Christ returns. He takes all those things... And he bundles them up in prayer to God, just as he told us in verse 10 that he's been praying for them night and day. Paul's anxiety drives him to act, to try and go to them, to to send Timothy. But above all, it drives him to pray, to pray that God will act, 
to grow his church, to strengthen them in the midst of persecution, that they might be strengthened in heart, blameless and holy until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I reckon this is a fascinating passage for getting an insight into anxiety, into what Paul is anxious about, to what God is anxious about, if we can use that language. And I think it speaks really powerfully to us in our anxious age. Firstly, it tells us that it's not necessarily wrong to be anxious. There are things that we should be concerned about. But secondly, it shifts our thinking away from being anxious about trivial things like food and clothing. We can trust God to look after that. Trivial things like exams to thinking about how we can encourage each other to keep going strong until the day Christ returns. Thirdly, it warns us to expect suffering, not so that we'll be anxious, but so we'll be prepared. Fourthly, it reminds us that we're actually stronger together. Yes, God saves us individually, but he saves us individually to be together, to be his church, his body, that through him we might not be alone, but actually anti-fragile, united together, not simply holding the line in the face of persecution and anxiety, but through our mutual care actually being stronger than we ever would have been uh, apart. And lastly, it shows us how to turn our anxieties into prayer, that the Lord might work in us and through us, that we might be holy and blameless together on the day that Christ returns. We live in an anxious age, but the Lord actually uses our weakness and anxiety to make us stronger than we would ever have possibly imagined and to bring us safely to the Lord Jesus on the last day. Why don't we call on him to do that now? Can you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Please help us to worry about the right things, to not be anxious about trivial things, but to be concerned about the salvation of those around us. Please help us uh, not simply to sit there in our worry, but to actually act on the basis of it, to encourage one another, to hold out the word of life to those around us, that together, we as your body might stand on the last day rejoicing in the presence of the Lord Jesus who in his weakness was crucified and was raised to life as Lord of all. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Um, All right. Uh, A couple of minutes. Does anyone have a question? Really do matter.
Right, right, yeah. Um, yes, that's a really helpful question. So I think um, it's helpful not to just sort of treat their worries glibly, um, but to take them seriously. I think if you're not a Christian, um, there's actually a lot to worry about. <laughs> um, but what we want to do ultimately is point them towards Jesus, to say to them, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. I understand why you're worried about that. Let me tell you what's helped me. Um, and what's helped me is that I actually know the creator. I know the one who's in charge of everything. Um, and in knowing him, I can be confident that he is working for my good. Um, would you like to find out more about him? Because I think that would really help. Um, that's kind of where I would go with it, I think. Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah. All right, if you've got any other questions, come and grab me afterwards. I'll hand back to Jeremy. Thanks, Ben. It's a really helpful encouragement and reminder for us how we can be um, praying for each other and talking to each other to encourage and build each other up. Um, yeah. So now we're going to hang around, chill, chat with some people around you. And uh, if you'd like to come and chat to me as well, I'm happy to chat to you, get to know you. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks.